Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Now, please welcome, all the way from their front living room, your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 42 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Hi everybody. So happy new year to you all. Yes, happy new year and hopefully if you've made any resolutions, you can follow through on them. But hopefully maybe we have people that made a resolution to listen to all of our podcasts and that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Mm-hmm. But have you noticed the special thing that we've got now? No. Oh, come on. What? We got a new logo, dude. Uh, Yay, we have a new logo. Yes, that's true. But hello, how long have we been married? You ain't figured out I'm not a dude yet? <laughs> okay. Jeez. But we have to really, really thank Heidi from AngelBot3D, who did us an absolutely amazing logo. I don't think we could have asked for anything more, could we? No, I think it's really awesome. It is, and it's going to look amazing on things like mugs and t-shirts and thongs. 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 I've got this thing about having a weird, wacky, wonderful stories podcast on a thong. It's got to be, honestly. I think you need help. No. Thing me a thong. (laughs) No. (laughs) <laughs> as i said heidi from angelbot 3d check her out on instagram she's got some amazing stuff we're actually heidi in return as a bit of a thank you to you we're going to run an ad for you on your services that you offer in regards to the portraits the doggy portraits that you do which are absolutely amazing so we're going to put that together so over the next couple of podcasts you'll hear that ad go and check her out find out what she's about and i suggest you employ her services yes definitely we got a guest with us today who's been with us before unfortunately Bella, you weren't able to take part in this one. No, I had to save lives. She had to go to work on the day that we actually did the interview. So she works in healthcare and sometimes there's just certain things that you have to do. And she did it and I'm sure that the people that she was caring for were grateful. I'm definitely grateful that she goes out and does what she does. And I've got to say I'm 100% proud of her. So that's why she's not on this particular one. So you guys are just going to have to put up with my voice, unfortunately. But it is broken up with the lovely sound of Marie D. Jones. Well, I should just take more days off and not do these podcasts because you're very flattering when I'm not around. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I need you. Yeah, I'm sure you do. No, I do. Mm -hmm. This podcast wouldn't be the same without you. I'm pretty sure you could handle it. But it was my baby, so... Yeah, exactly. It was your idea. Yeah. And no, I don't want to do it without you, ever. Yeah, that's probably a good thing. Or the podcast. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right, we're going to continue with the interview. So that's bye from me. (laughs) Go on, rub it in. Bye. Today we have with us a previous guest, and I'd like to say friend of the show, who's a best-selling author of both fiction and non-fiction, an ex-MUFON investigator, screenplay writer, and much more. She's lectured worldwide on the paranormal, unknown anomalies, cutting-edge science, metaphysics, and human consciousness. She's also a member of CERT, the Community Emergency Response Team, and it's her expertise around this field that we'll be concentrating on today. As a side note, she's also really active on social media, and her Instagram posts keep me amused daily. And in fact, if she ever wants to change careers, she can fall back on comedy. Please welcome to the show, Marie D. Jones. I am so glad you said that, because I might need a second career. (laughs) I don't think you will. I don't think you will. Oh, that is too funny. Uh, Marie, our listeners love UFOs. They love conspiracy theories of secret government bases and FEMA camps, space, asteroids, all that sort of thing. But of course, one thing that all of these things have in common is that if everything goes wrong, civilization could be facing a disaster of epic proportions. It's the things that we're all interested in, you know, the UFOs, but what if we could be facing a massive disaster? So... That's why I learned about your book, The Disaster Survival Guide, How to Prepare for and Survive Floods, Fires, Earthquakes and More. And after I learned about that, I realized I had to get you on the show to talk about it. Yeah, it's funny because when uh, when I was talking to my publisher, who is just the most wonderful person, Roger at Visible Ink Press, about, you know, what I wanted to write about, we, we were throwing around some kind of paranormal and conspiracy oriented ideas. And I because I had so much training and because of where I live in Southern California, we were having a lot of wildfires. We have earthquakes and I just kind of threw it out. You know, I'd really love to do sort of a comprehensive, almost encyclopedic book about survival training. And, you know, whether we're talking about the smallest little thing like a, a bee sting 
or a laceration that you might get in your garage on a sharp object or, you know, full on asteroid impact. It just, I love this. I love empowering myself and people to survive. And it's funny that you mention UFOs and conspiracies because one of the things that I saw around the time was the government did an actual survival guide based on a zombie invasion. Mm -hmm. And they did it for, you know, to be funny, but also in total seriousness to use pop culture as a way to try to educate employees and, you know, first responders and other people on what we might need to do in certain circumstances. What worries me is the human factor. It's the fact that, I don't know if you've seen a, a program on TV recently called The Purge. They did it as a as a series, and there's actually a movie out called The Purge as well. And it's the it's on the idea that if you suddenly had a lawless society, if you suddenly could get away with anything on a certain day, what would people actually do with it? And it is absolutely horrific. But of course, I think that yeah, Probably one of the biggest things about this disaster scenarios that, that you talk about in your book is the human factor. It's the way people suddenly behave. Yep, absolutely. And I think that might actually, I hate to say it, because <laughs> I'm usually a you know happy-go-lucky little optimist, but that scares me more than the actual disaster. Because in most cases, unless it is something so massive that you know we all better just kiss our you-know-what's goodbye, you know, many disasters are survivable. They're more survivable if you know what to do ahead of time, because then, you mm. know, you panic less, you feel more empowered. The one thing that you really can't predict is how your neighbors and fellow, you know, citizens are going to act, especially in desperate situations where you have, say, a nuclear attack or um, even a super volcanic eruption where food and water are going to become very, very scarce. And, you know, you're going to have people going into that survival mode where they will do anything, including commit murder, killing, you know, children and whatever, just to get what they need to survive on a personal level. That's terrifying. <laughs> Far yeah. more terrifying to me than, uh, you know, I've lived through some major earthquakes and major wildfire outbreaks that really were terrifying. Mother Nature is scary. I was going to ask you about that, whether you had a personal experience that actually kind of guided you into this, whether you suddenly had a, a moment where you thought, you know, I'm really not prepared for this. I need to get some school in. Yep, I have a good one. I started this in 19, in the 1990s, the late, or not the late, about 1993, I was working in Los Angeles for Warner Brothers Records. Really fun company, you know, hundreds and hundreds of employees. And at that time, uh, we experienced uh, several earthquakes while I was living up there. Very terrifying. And it's funny because my dad a, was a geophysicist. He passed away a few years ago and a seismologist and earthquakes and volcanoes were his specialty. So he would call me and tease me, you know. <laughs> But um, the Northridge earthquake, which happened in um, 1993, January 17th, was so, I was about, I don't know, eight miles from the um, epicenter, and it happened in the middle of the night. It was so terrifying that my husband at the time, he and I were literally holding each other on the bed saying goodbye. We wow. thought we were going to die. It was that bad. What happened was at the time I I wore contact lenses because I was legally blind in one eye and almost legally blind in the other. <laughs> well, so what happened was in the shaking, my spare pair of contact lenses and my eyeglasses that were on my bedside table were I, who knows where they were gone in, you know in the debris of everything that fell over. Mm. And I had to try to survive, not able to see. Uh, well, when we went back to work weeks later, because all of the big companies shut down because the aftershocks were so bad, um, Warner Brothers offered training program. And uh, it was with Burbank Fire and Police Department in Los Angeles. And I we, you know, there we had counselors coming in. That's how traumatized everyone was. 
and I jumped at the chance, and I had full training in everything you can imagine, search and rescue, disaster assessment, heavy, heavy object lifting, cribbing, first aid, triage, death tagging. You, you know, you can't imagine everything. Wow. And yeah, and then I moved to San Diego <laughs> and got chased away, you know, evacuated a couple of times from walls of fire that I must say, I grew up in New York. I've been through a blizzard, you know, parts of hurricanes, usually the tail end. Um, I've been through earthquakes. I think fire is the most terrifying. It, it's unforgiving. So, and then I found CERT, Community, Community Emergency Response Teams, and that is in the United States through FEMA and the Department of Homeland Security. We do very serious training for an, it's an eight-week program, and then we graduate, and then we do ongoing training, and we do drills. We've, I've done a couple of um, active shooter drills that were absolutely terrifying. And so I'm still active with them. I also became an amateur radio operator as part of that because in a major emergency cell phones are not going to be working people no, no, <laughs> no that's it it's funny because we rely so much on technology these days there's nothing in in regard to what you went through but we had a power failure recently uh along our street where we live and we had power for about or lost power for about 36 hours and although we coped our son was absolutely lost because his computer had just turned into a lump of useless plastic. So it's yeah. amazing how ill-equipped today's youth are. And I, and I mean that with the greatest of respect because we put them there. We did. We've we did, led yeah. them into this, you know, and it worries me. Do you think that people's reliance on technology is actually making us maybe softer and maybe ultimately easier to wipe out? You know, again, I hate to say this, but that, that will be our downfall. I remember one thing, my dad and I, before he passed away, we wrote a book about super volcanoes together, and we wrote a sort of a fictional scenario of what would happen if one erupted, and we were talking about doing a book on mega disasters, and my dad, I remember he said something to me that just stuck in my head so much, and it was that in the case of a major, this is more of a global but it could even be a supervolcano erupting here in the United States, but eventually would cause a nuclear winter all over the world. So in an event like that, he said, the primitive people that we make fun of so much that little you know tribes stuck out in the Amazon yeah. are going to survive. We, not so much. <laughs> Yeah. We don't know how to grow our own food. We don't know how to do anything. We depend all technology will be down. And we had a, a major uh, blackout power outage here a few years ago. And it was on the day of like the anniversary of 9-11, which of course terrified the crap out of everybody because yeah, they thought it was a terrorist attack. Yeah. Turned out it was human error, but millions and millions of people in, in the southern, uh, southwestern part of the United States were without power overnight. <clears throat> Luckily, I had my ham radio operating and I could hear what was going on, the relays, the news that was going on, and, and you know, was able to tell other people, no, it's not terrorism. But people's cell phones were not working. Sometimes you'd get a little bit of intermittent service. What really kind of freaked me out, though, was radio. Radio stations went down. Really? I mean, power, you know, it's just like, wow, the longer it went on, you know, the more stuff went down. And then, obviously... Things started to come back. You know, some people had cell phone service ahead of others, but that was just like you had, you know, 36 hours. Could you imagine two months? Yeah, it doesn't be thinking about. Where there's no food and water anymore because everybody's made a run on all the stores? I Oh, I can't even imagine it. It's funny because I think preppers, and I hate to use that term because I think it does them a disservice, but they've had some bad press representation, I think, over the years because I think they seem to be judged these days as kind of kooky, if you like, for want of a better word. And really, I think maybe to a certain degree, I know that they've picked on these shows picked on the extremes in certain cases right. but, but I think that uh, they've been done a disservice because really are those the people that we're going to be running to when we have a situation oh, like yeah. this right 
Exactly. You know, Hollywood likes to, the entertainment industry likes to make people look extreme because it gets more viewers. But I included a lot of stuff that I learned from the prepping community. And I, oh my gosh, have beyond amazing respect for them. Now, you know, you have survivalists that are a little more extreme in that they really sort of forego a lot of normal communications or, you know, they, they like to go hide out on their property and whatever. They might be a little more to the extreme, but even that's not a negative. It's just, you know, a choice that they've made. Yeah, it's di- different levels of preparedness. Exactly. But, you know, most of the preppers, they're afraid, but they're also aware and they keep their eyes on everything. And they were fortunate enough, a lot of them, to buy property, you know, out in the out in the rural areas, property can be purchased cheap. And these people were smart enough to do that if they didn't already live out there and learn how to, you know, collect rainwater and learn what to grow on their property. Most of them are very well versed in protecting themselves with firearms and, and what have you, which is another thing that I really learned. Um, I used to hate guns with a passion, being a little bit of a pacifist, but I realized now after writing this book and learning about what it might take to survive, you know, and I have a son and, and wanting him to survive that you do have to worry about protecting yourself because you can stockpile enough food and water for you and your family. Guess what? All of the people that weren't smart enough to do that, they're going to be surrounding your property pretty quickly, and that's very frightening. Yeah, it is. Tooled up now, are you? You're ready for them. Well, (laughs) I could be more ready. Here's what happened. (laughs) We laugh about it. Watch tomorrow the asteroid will hit. Oh, please don't. Um, (laughs) So, you know, we get lazy, or I don't even know if I like to use that word lazy. We get caught up in in day-to-day life. And I will realize, oh, my gosh, we don't have enough water. And I live in a suburban area. We don't have enough water. We don't have enough non-perishable foods in the house. And I do have a kit. I've got a bunch of kits, actually, that have um, water and food bars and everything you could possibly think of. But you do kind of get caught up in your day-to-day life, and you forget to restock things that maybe you used. You forget to check batteries. Maybe they're no good anymore. And the sad thing is, is when do we remember to do that when something happens? That yeah. it's like, ah, yeah, should have checked those batteries. So I have to remind myself, and with uh, being a part of CERT, and I've also had Red Cross training, when I get my, you know, class reminders and I go to class, that kind of reminds me, oh, all right, I got to get back in and, you know, really make sure that I have what I need. There are three people living in this house with me, my mom, my son, myself, two dogs. My sister lives next door. And, you know, it's just like I know that we probably have enough to get through a week between the two households. <laughs> Maybe my sister has more. But, you know, they used to tell you to be prepared for three days. Now it's two weeks because infrastructure will be down. It will not be working at least two weeks. And that's a lot of food and a lot of water and medical prescriptions. Of course, medication. I didn't even think of medication. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And if you're on something like blood pressure medications, you can't stop taking those. Yeah, I never even thought of medication. How weird is that? I was thinking about, and I'm on a fair deal of medication, but while you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, I could probably store some water here. Never thought of medication. It's funny. It's like when you get, God forbid, but you get broken into or something, it's always then you go, oh, maybe I should look for a burglar alarm now. You know, maybe I should look for a security system. Or a a large dog. (laughs) Exactly. It's after the event. It's the event that makes you suddenly think, actually, now I need to, but too late, the horse has already bolted. And if it's a major earth-changing, world-changing disaster, will you get that second chance? Yeah. And even smaller disasters, you know, um, like here with earthquakes or even massive wildfires, uh, like let's say with earthquakes, so parts of freeways or highways can be down. You might not be able to get to your pharmacy. Your pharmacy may be so damaged that nobody's there working at it. So it's always advised to have an extra month of your 
you know, like if you're just taking allergy meds, you could probably slide. But if it's a life-saving, you know, diabetes, blood pressure, heart medicines, those types of things, cancer medications, and you're you know, you're like three days from running out and there's no sign of when the pharmacy is going to be open again. That's that could be more deadly than the initial disaster. And even for your pets, I mean, our pets need food. They need water. They need their medications, too. Yeah, we've got a disaster looming here, apparently, because Brexit is going to, the world's going to fall apart, apparently, when Brexit happens. I don't know if you know about that. I do, a little little bit, yeah. The UK is (laughs) going to fall into the sea. Yeah. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, apparently, so there's loads of rumours and and scaremongering going on about Brexit, you know, we're just all going to dissolve or something, I don't know. Aside of your CERT training and the training that you had with Warner Brothers, and you said that you, you did some with Burbank PD and, and what have you. Are there any other courses available, is, is my point, to people in the States? Because I don't even know about here. But in the States, is there anything else people can do if they haven't got oh, those Red things Cross. in their area? Yeah. And I'm sure where you are, too. You guys have Red Cross. I mean, that's yeah, uh, international. Yeah. So Red Cross teaches, and they're usually free. You know, they teach things like CPR, first aid, that anybody can take. CPR has changed. Uh, The protocols have completely changed now. So a lot of people that maybe took a class several years ago don't realize that, you know, now you don't do the rescue breaths. You just keep doing the chest pumps. And those are free. And I'm sure no matter what country anybody is in, there is a disaster management uh, part of the government that probably could direct people to to training. You know, I'm not familiar with what goes on in every country, but I was really happy to find that, you know, here in the States and in our outlying areas, Guam, Puerto Rico, what have you, every state has an office of emergency management. You know, sometimes it goes by a different name, office of disaster preparedness. And they are so willing to get you information. And that information is based on what threats are prominent in your area. So your, you know, your region might be more prone to wildfire, might be more prone to flooding, whatever. And you know what? We have the internet now. (laughs) There's, there's stuff on the internet. There's so much information on the internet. And we have books and we have, there's really no excuse yeah. to not learn the basics and to not stock up a little bit. You know, maybe people say, well, I can't, I don't have time to go put a big kit together. Guess what? I ordered one over the internet. Yeah, it's funny because if you've got something that you want to do, you'll find the time, won't you? Yeah, you know, and there are these wonderful pre-made kits They come in huge buckets, different sizes, because the bucket you'll want to use for waste product. They have food bars. They have water. It's all vacuum-packed, usually five years, you know, good for five years. Medical stuff, first aid, blah, 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 rope, tarps, I mean, bullhorns. There's so many different ways that you can put a kit together yourself if you like to go to your home goods type of store. But you can, if you don't have the time, you can order one online. And they're not that expensive. And that's another thing people will say, well, the cost. So here's one thing I always suggest. Every time you go to the grocery store, pick up an extra gallon of water. Here it's so cheap. Mm. You know, pick, just pick one up. Pick two if you can. Stock them away somewhere dark and cool. And then, you know, every year or so, check the expiration. You might want to cycle them out. Pick up a box of Power Bars. Or a box of cereal. Even if you don't normally eat it, you want to have non-perishable stuff on hand because your the stuff in your fridge and freezer are going to go really quickly. And yeah, well, I don't eat a lot of sugar. That's okay. In a major disaster, that's you're going to get your energy from those types of things. You're going to yeah. need it. Get some Gatorade. Get some stuff that can be kept. You know in a cupboard, a pantry, whatever. So if you do a little bit each time, one day you're going to look and go, oh, wow, you know, we got what we need. Yeah. And the thing is, disaster could literally be just around the corner. I read something the other day 
And this is one thing that concerns me, I suppose, more than anything. We were talking about technology earlier. Back in, I think it was 2012, it was around July in 2012, we missed a whole heap of trouble by nine days. There was a massive coronal mass ejection that happened, yeah. so a solar event. <laughs> and do you know what? Studies into that event showed that it would have cost US economy alone up to $2.6 trillion to have recovered from that, and between four yeah. and ten years. Can you imagine four to ten years before infrastructure is back up and working and, you know, the country has actually recovered? It's just... And, and that's something that just happened. A lot of people didn't even know about that. It just happened, you know. <laughs> but yeah. It's around the corner, and potentially. That goes on 11-year cycles, in, in, you know, pretty accurately. So... You know, 2012, 11 years from now, we're we're going to be dealing, if not sooner, with a, another major, major solar storm activity, you know, episode. And who knows at that point? But you're right. So, but think about what you just said. How many people turn away and stick their heads in the sand because what you just said is so incomprehensible and scary? And how do you wrap your mind around that kind of disruption to somebody's normal, comfortable daily life? It, it's terrifying. And I have to say to our listeners, our intent today isn't to frighten anybody or to scare anybody. It's purely to give you the information to hopefully make sure that you're prepared and that, you know, that you're aware. Because I think that as you said, you know, people walk around with their eyes closed. Yeah, and you know, I'm going to I'm going to say that I think sometimes it is good to be sort of frightened awake. Yes. When that becomes negative is if you stay frightened to the point where you don't do anything, but if you sort of come awake and like, "Oh my gosh, I've got my family, you know, my kids, my my elderly parents live with me. What would I do with them if they were home alone?" Once you wake up to the possibilities, Look, you know, you you may not survive the biggest, like an asteroid, you know, two mile wide. None of us will. But we're not talking about the the events where the odds are very low of them happening. Stuff happens every day, mm. you know, especially man-made threats, human threats, walking into a grocery store, wondering if there's going to be an active shooter event or car accidents, pileups on the freeway and dense fog. I mean, there's so many different things that could happen, but you still need to get out there and live your life. But if you're equipped with some knowledge, some basics, if you've got a nice kit in your car in case, you know, you get stuck on the freeway for 24 hours, you've got water and food and, and blankets. There's so many little common sense things that people can do where they feel just a little bit less afraid. Yeah, that car point that you made, I carry a blanket in there because, you know, it's it's usually cold in the UK anyway. But there are occasions where I've actually given my blanket away because I've driven down the road and I've seen people on the side of the road, maybe their car's broken down, and they, you can see they've got young children with them and they're shivering. And oh, my gosh. I've yeah. actually given my blanket away a couple of times. We just pulled over and, oh, that's and, given nice. it and just said... I'm going to yeah. keep an extra one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And sneakers or, you know, thick-soled shoes, boots. I mean... A lot of people that are commuting to and from their jobs are dressed dressed up. Women might have, you know, high heels on. And so it's always a good idea to, to have a pair of shoes that you can run in and also walk on a lot of debris in mm. and not, you know, not worry about that. So just a change of clothes. Um, you know, people that have low blood sugar issues, if you get stuck on the road for more than a few hours – you're going to want to have some some power bars or some almonds or whatever, just silly little things like that that don't seem so silly when you actually use them. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, thank God I had this water and this banana you know, yeah. and this blanket. Yeah you, yeah, you can always find space in the car. Usually it's full of junk, isn't it? You've got things yeah, in the yeah, glove box exactly. that you've never used. And, <laughs> yeah, it's just it becomes a, a sort of storage area for the kids in the back. You know, they chuck everything everywhere, and it's all in the footwells, and goodness knows what. You can imagine what my car's like now. 
<laughs> yeah, at least throw some useful things in there too. Exactly. Yeah, give give the kids some power bars to play with. Let them throw them on the floor. I mean, look, power bars are full of junk, but let me tell you something. <laughs> and I'm, and you know, when you don't have a lot of food around, those things are cheap and they come in handy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. It tastes like cardboard, but they'll keep you alive. Yeah, yeah, and you're going to need those sugar rushes. So. <laughs> What role do you think, we're getting into maybe a conspiracy sort of side of things now, but what role do you think the government might take in case of a major disaster? So let's look at, I don't know, let's just pick something, let's pick something like an asteroid. I know it's it's lower on the probability scale, but if there was something like that, do you think the government would kind of shut themselves away and leave us to fend for oh, ourselves? Yes. Are you, yeah, absolutely. Don't they have the, they have these underground I remember reading Time magazine along quite a, quite a while ago. I think it was over ten years ago about the the bunker systems that well we in the United States, but I'm sure every country has protection for their government leaders. Absolutely, we will not see them. <laughs> they will be in in a major emergency. They will probably the top you know five or six government how how it trickles down will mm. be gone and the, the underlings will be left behind. Now that's not conspiracy theory. That is fact because it's happened before. You have to get your leadership to safety. I understand that they'll be needed later, you know, to p- help pick up the pieces. But I think, you know, self-preservation plays a big role in this too. The wealthy who can afford underground bunkers. I wouldn't go so far as to say that, they might take advantage of the situation uh, in, a, in something like an asteroid impact. I think it will be so overwhelming that whoever is above ground at the time it happens, all separation by class, wealth, political, whatever, is going to disappear. Mm. And basically, we are thrown back to you know the Stone Age, and mm. we are fighting for the most basic thing of all, and that is to survive. However, (laughs) you brought up the word conspiracy. I do believe that one of the worries that we need to think about are false flags. And they've been used in the past for different goals and motivations of different governments. I believe they'll be used again. I am not one of those people that believes that every mass shooting that happens is a conspiracy, but some of them seem pretty suspicious. Uh, 9-11, I am sorry, but I, you know, I am one of those people that never, ever bought the official explanation. So those things do happen. But trust me, Mother Nature's going to hit you first. (laughs) Yeah. You know, she's going to get you first because there's weather, there's tectonic movement there's all kinds of stuff that nature will throw at us before those things happen i think and the thing is is that we're we're excuse my french but we're pissing mother nature off as well with all of the things that we're doing to the environment we're actually making the the likelihood of something like that happening in terms of floods all that sort of stuff we're actually increasing the risks by our own actions it's happening here with our droughts which then turn into massive wildfires, which then, if we do get rain, turn into mudslides. And it's interesting to see the denial on both the parts of certain government officials, but also a lot of civilians who, who again, they don't want to get out of that denial. They don't want to be made to feel that they're partially responsible as citizens as officials of the the federal government, I don't care what country you're talking about, people don't want to take responsibility. So what do they do? They deny it. Mm. They deny it's happening. Oh, the scientists are full of crap. My dad was one of those. My dad was a geophysicist. He spent the last 15 years of his life working in the area of climate science. And my dad told me before he died, he cried and said that he feared for my son's generation. My son is 17 because of climate change, negative climate change. (laughs) So, you know. And what motive would your father have had to 
lie to you at that point. He was clearly, as you said, emotional about it. He clearly cares about yeah. you and your son. So what motive would he have, someone who was in the know, because he was the person on the ground doing the research, doing the work, collating the evidence, what possible reason could he have had to lie to you about that in that instance? None at all. None at all. I likened it to, you know, one of the witnesses of the Roswell UFO crash telling the truth on their deathbed. But my dad was always very honest about what was happening. And I remember he told me a long, long time ago that in the 1970s, you know, he had been part of a team that was studying geoengineering of the weather. That was way back in the 70s when pollution, air pollution was a huge problem. The ozone layer was an issue. Now, you know, all these years later, you have chemtrails, you have people denying that they exist. I am sorry, but they are a reality. And we just had somebody come forward. I forgot who it was, some big public figure saying that we need to uh, start looking at geoengineering again as a way to alter the weather. But that's been, that's been going on for decades. I was going to say, there's lots of cases where people believe that that's been going on for a long time. Yeah, and it's funny because um, a few years ago, I started noticing a pattern. I live in an area that was once an agricultural area. There's still parts of the city that I live in that are. And you would see major, major, and I know the difference between contrails and chemtrails. I, I'm a researcher. You would see major chemtrail activity. The sky would look like a big giant tic-tac-toe board, you know, one on top of the other on top of the other. Three days later, it would rain. And this was like clockwork. Hmm. Might not be a lot of rain, but we would go from clear, sunny Southern California skies to drizzle or rain. And I started thinking, well, okay, I understand why they might be doing that. We need it. We need it. But then you start reading about the chemicals that they're using to do it, and you wonder why the rates of allergies and asthma and respiratory diseases have skyrocketed, autoimmune. I mean, we could really go down the rabbit hole here. But but what my dad was saying is he, he asked if I would look at some courses that were online through Columbia University. There was a, a university in Sweden that was doing some really, really good cutting-edge climate change studies. And I said, yeah, I'll read them. I literally took these online courses, almost like college courses, to try to get a better understanding because his hope was that I might be able to talk about it in an everyday way to everyday people. And I've tried to do that, but you, you know, you'd be surprised. I'm sure you know how quickly you get shut down. Mm. Oh, I don't believe in that. Uh, and a lot of religious people, I hate to bring this up, but a lot of religious people will say, well, it's God's will. God will protect us. God will never let that happen. And, oh, it's like, oh. <laughs> Tell that to the mother who's just lost a child in a school shooting or... Yeah, yeah, it's like pulling teeth. Yeah. So we got to get more people out of that. I know how crippling fear can be, but... The thing that stops fear, everybody says, is love. Well, I say it's information. <laughs> it's knowledge. You know? Yeah, definitely. It knowledge, may not knowledge stop is it, power. but it can lessen it. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, with your research into the book then, what was it that kind of jumped out at you, which you learned from doing that research? What, what made you think, oh, that's the bit of knowledge I really needed. That's going to save my life one day. Uh, the little everyday stuff, like, you know, and and the thing is, like people assume, oh, I know all of this by heart now, but by memory, but I don't. I have to refer back to my own book. Mm. Um, but I didn't, even with all the training I had, I didn't remember how to properly treat a bee sting or a rattlesnake bite, or if you know, when my son was little, if he got a laceration and the bone was sticking out you know do you try to set it do you not move it blah 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 those little everyday yes it's going to happen especially if you have kids things really mm. stood out uh, in terms of the larger survival disasters the one thing that really stood out for me is that there's a lot of repetition to the steps that you need to take before during and after and that's really good because you'll learn quicker, you'll remember easier what you need to do in any given situation, because a lot of times it's the same. 
you know, do I stay or do I go? What do I have in my emergency kit? Do I have a plan with my family? Do we all know where we're going to congregate or who we're going to call outside the area? All of that applies, whether it's fire, blizzard, earthquake, volcanic eruption. Um, you know, is my pantry stocked? Do I have a, a bug out bag? Do I have an extra pair of sneakers? Have I gone to the pharmacy and gotten my extra pills? It's like really repetitive. And there are certain things that differ according to what you're going to be dealing with. You know, another really interesting thing for me, we don't have it here in California, was black ice and how you steer your car mm. and what you're supposed to do if you're skidding and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, there's so much stuff where you're like, oh, my God, I thought I was supposed to do the exact opposite of that. And it's funny because human nature sometimes takes over and, and it, it can take over in totally the wrong way. I'm not going to go into too many details here, but I used to work years ago doing some security work when I was fresh out of school, actually, or fresh out of college. I was on patrol this one day and this child was on the floor unconscious and child was probably maybe two or three years old. And the father was just leaning over the child and shaking it, trying oh. to bring it round. Oh. And when I got there, I found the child wasn't actually breathing. And the ambulance had already been called. And there was a doctor that was actually local anyway, that had seen what was going on and was running over at the time. And the doctor immediately said, you know, child's not breathing, you know, keep the father away. And it was my yeah, job yeah. to try and hold this father back when all his instincts and all of his his power was involved in trying to get to his son, who was, oh my gosh. you know, yeah. to all intents and purposes at that point dying, and to try and hold that guy back because I knew that the, the thing the child needed was the medical attention the doctor could give, who was looking at things rationally and calmly. Yes. Thank God he brought the child round and managed to get the child breathing again, and then the ambulance turned up and dealt with it. Oh. But... But that was yeah. one of the hardest yeah. things I've ever had to do was to hold that chap back. But he and his human nature to ch just try and hold the child and shake the child awake was exacerbating the situation. Right. And if that child, excuse me, had some kind of head injury where he should not have been moved, your emotional re reaction as a parent, you know, could end up killing your child. And I, and I think that brings up such a good point that in, you know, whether you're alone or you're with a group of people, when you have some knowledge of what to do, you're still going to, you're still going to react emotionally. We're human beings. My gosh, yeah. if that happened to my son, I, you know, I would initially freak out. Yeah. But what I've learned is that when you kind of know what to do, you might panic for a few seconds, and then you kick into this weird sort of slow motion, surreal mode in which you are able to take proactive steps. You're able, you, you get into this weird zone where like your intellect takes, okay, you know what, emotion, you need to take a step back. I know what to do. And that can make all the difference between somebody living and somebody dying. Hmm. Um, and one of the drills that I was in, it was a plane crash drill with involving hundreds of people. This was up in Los Angeles. And my job, my role, we all got to play roles, was to be the person that is not all that much injured, but annoys the hell out of all the first responders, mm. that person that is distracting, that person that is, you know, I need help now. I need help when there's people who are on the verge of death lying over here and here. It was so eye-opening mm. to me how much those poor first responders have to deal with uh, the human aspects of something when they're just trying to do their job. Yeah, my father was a police officer and I can remember him coming home sometimes from work and just sitting silently. And looking back on it now as an adult, I know that he was obviously processing whatever he dealt with that day. But yeah, that, I mean, all credit to these people that go out day in, day out, risk their lives and and also put themselves right in in the path of some of the things that we all shy away from. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? They don't have a choice. Now, if you're trained by CERT or Red Cross or whatever, 
we are activated in major emergencies, but we have the choice to say that we cannot participate because we need to take care of our family or we can't, you know, we want to take care of our neighbors. We have that choice. But if you're a fireman, firewoman, you know, you're on law enforcement, you're an EMS or emergency technician, ambulance drivers, I'm sorry, you don't have a choice. And if it's a major event that affects everyone, we won't have a choice then either, will we? So I don't think so. I think everybody's going to need to either step up or step back. And most people will step back. But, you know, you do have a lot of people that in in a a big emergency or disaster, people step forward. They want to help. They want to do what they can. There's a lot of good people. There's a lot of good, you know, in human nature. But a problem is often when people disrupt first responders because they think they're helping, yeah. like moving body, moving people who are injured when maybe they shouldn't be moved, going into buildings that have not been assessed that could crumble down around you because you want to go make sure there's nobody in there. If you have somebody trained in disaster assessment, let them go in. However, I know full well that if you're the only person or you're you and your neighbors and nobody knows what they're doing, you're going to go into that building. And it's just a risk, you know, that people take. Yeah. We're coming towards the end of our time together. I just want to ask you something that's going to a little bit more sort of lighthearted maybe. And and I'm going to put you on the spot. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Okay. So a little scenario, there's a major disaster. Okay. And you take the items that you've already prepared and you, maybe decide that you can't stay in your house and that you because i know that there's times when you've got to hunker down and times when you've got to leave isn't there right shelter in place Mm. yeah so in this situation you're having to leave and you take with you your emergency stuff that you've prepared of the stuff that you've left behind what do you think you would miss first oh my gosh okay so the times that i was actually evacuated do you know what i took come on my purse, of course. My cats. I don't have any cats anymore. I would take, you know, my kid. Um, no, actually, I ended up taking my computer hard drive because my whole life as a writer was on that. All right. The things I left behind, you know what? Here's where technology is good. Here's where technology gets to make us happy. You used to hear people say, I'd take all my photographs, all my photo books of my wedding and this, that. Well, now, you know, most, a lot of that stuff is on your phone or on the Mm. cloud or on Facebook or whatever. I think I would miss, well, I don't know my books, but then again, we live in a world where we could most easily replace things. I think stuff from my childhood that I have in my storage room. Right. Because I know I couldn't take that with me. Yeah. As long as I have, you know, my people, my pets, and my basics, and I grab my hard drive, which is right in front of me, I, you know, I'll be, I'll be okay. I mean, all the rest of that stuff is material, but yeah, It's funny because some- when you boil it down to a question like that and you really think about it, you realize really that what in life do you really need other than the people around you and and like you said the the memories really it's funny because I, <laughs> I was talking to Bella in bed last night before we went to sleep and I, I said to her I was talking about the conversation that we were going to have today and and this interview and I said I'm going to ask her what she would miss first you know if she had to leave stuff behind and so Bella turned to me and she said well what would you miss first and I said you dear <laughs> 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 Sorry, honey, but I'm out of here. Yeah, it, <laughs> save yourself. Save it yourself. It didn't go down very well. I was too close to make that comment. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, you had a little smile on your face when you made it. I, I did, yeah. I did. And I won't say what she actually said to me in return either. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And you know what? If your answer is something that you could take, be ready. Just be ready to evacuate and have that at the front door. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Listen, Marie, yeah. it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you, as always. Where can people find the book? The book is sold in bookstores, brick-and-mortar stores, all online bookstores. So it's easy to get. And I highly recommend it, even though, yes, I did write it. But it just I tried to make sure I covered everything. 
Yeah, no, I I think it's a must, really. I think that this kind of thing could affect everybody. It's not like, you know, if I don't know, you get a new book on web design or something like that, you know, and it's only going to appeal (laughs) to people who are interested in web design. But really, something like this could potentially affect everybody. So I think, you know, that bit of knowledge and, you know, you've done a massive amount of research to actually go in that book. So you know, people aren't going to have to do that research now. All they've got to do is get your book and they've, yeah, they've got the it all there. Exactly. Yeah. So it's called The Disaster yeah. Survival Guide, How to Prepare for and Survive Floods, Fires, Earthquakes and More. Marie, what else are you working on at the moment? Is there anything else you've got coming up in the pipeline? I have a book in July coming out called Celebrity Ghosts and Notorious Hauntings. And I'm writing a book on ancient aliens and ancient technologies and suppressed sciences. That will be out next year. And then I have all kinds of fiction and film stuff going on. But in terms of books, those are the ones that are coming. Well, that's definitely stuff we'd like to get our teeth into. So you are the guest that keeps giving. So if... You know, if you if you want to come back, you know you're more than welcome. Oh my gosh, of course. Hey, consider me a regular. Excellent. Honestly, it's such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Marie, look after yourself and thank you very much again. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that. It's a little bit of something out of the ordinary this time, but I think it's something that we're all interested in or certainly should be interested in. And certainly, as I said right at the start of the podcast, all of these things that we're interested in with UFOs and all that sort of stuff, hey, you know what? There's just as much chance of those UFOs coming down and having aliens on them that want to wipe us out as there are those that want to be nice to us and share their technology and everything else. So I think it's really interesting and definitely a must for people to learn a little bit more about how to survive in these kind of circumstances. Not that we expect any aliens to come down soon. I don't want anyone to have nightmares. Don't forget you can catch our podcast on all of your favourite podcast apps, iTunes, SoundCloud, etc, etc. We're also now on Spotify for those people that don't know. And our logo is getting out there, our new logo. Unfortunately, iTunes, one of the biggest suppliers, and yet they still haven't managed to update our logo on all of their podcasts yet. So I don't exactly know what's going on there, but certainly Spotify and, and the others have got the new logo. It has been pushed out to them. It's literally just waiting for their service to update. You can also catch us now on YouTube, believe it or not. We're starting to upload our episodes to YouTube. I've only just started. There's only about 20 episodes up there so far. So if you want to view them on YouTube, although there's nothing to view, it's just our logo. But if you want to listen to them on YouTube, then you're more than welcome to as well. Don't forget, wherever you listen to us, to like, subscribe and all of that good stuff so that we can bring you more stuff. And we have got some fantastic stuff coming up for you in 2019. I wish that I could tell you about it all now, but I can't. I'm sworn to secrecy. Stay tuned is all I can say. And if you subscribe, you definitely won't miss it. Thanks again, guys. Take it nice and easy. And we'll speak to you next week when I'm sure Bella will be back to entertain you with her lovely tones. <laughs> <laughs>